Hey everyone, my name is Stephanie and my name is Mara. Welcome to Quality of Life. We interview patients and providers about topics in palliative care medicine. Today's episode is about spirituality. This podcast is supported by the Duke Chancellor Service Fellowship. It is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. We were curious to hear about how spirituality and religion play a role in palliative care medicine. So we went and spoke with a chaplain at Duke Hospital to learn about how he's involved with the palliative care team. We were incredibly surprised to learn about the many resources and support available to a wide variety of faith groups and religious affiliations. So we'll first hear from the chaplain himself. Uh, My name is Artie Hendricks, and I am uh, a chaplain in the Department of Chaplain Services and Education, and I am assigned to uh, be the chaplain on the palliative care um, consult team here at Duke Hospital. Uh, I really like to think about um, what I do as just part of uh, the whole in terms of what, what the team does. Um, if you're familiar with palliative care, um, we like to think of ourselves at best be a, being a fully integrated care team uh, that really is works to relieve the physical and emotional suffering um, uh, for patients uh, at times when they need it and provide uh, social, um, psychological, and spiritual support for patients and for their families. Each person's spirituality, whether they are part of a, a, a religious group or or not, uh, there's still uh, folks still at that time in their lives when they're facing serious illness, um, think about uh, things that are very meaningful. Um, so there's a lot of conversation around, uh, a lot of meaning-oriented conversation. Uh, and with the team, uh, with the palliative care team, we try to work collaboratively and independently to visit patients and, and work together to help the team to like construct a thorough picture of what's going on with the patient and the family and how we can best serve them holistically. I, I think that what we can provide as chaplains is um, uh, our time and, and to be with patients, to hear their stories, to um, to build a relationship that might lead to the other, the whole team as a whole, to to know more about the patient and their their needs and and their their desires for how they want their care. Um, to to be at that time in their lives because it can when I think about patients uh, and and what they go through at very serious uh, when they're dealing with very serious health health issues they're they're dealing with things that they may not have ever dealt with before so they're trying to process how they can best deal with something given their own inner strength and all when they may have never may never have faced anything like this before, so um, I think the chaplain can go in and provide uh, not only spiritual care related to their own uh, affiliation with a a, a um, faith group, um, and that can look like uh, anything from ritual to prayer to 
Um, just sitting with them um, when they need to process all the all of what's going on in their lives at that point in time. I think the most rewarding acts. Part of the job for me is actually being with with patients and families. Um, it's uh, we always talk about, and I think in in the world of chaplaincy, you think about uh, we always talk about this walk this walking on holy ground or sacred ground with patients because you hear uh, some very intimate um, details about their lives, about their uh, struggles, and about their regrets and about their own spirituality. Uh, that is special to hear and special to be a part of and and as a chaplain you want to help um, try to guide in the right way to think about to tap into some of when they felt strongest in their lives so they can capture that for for this time in their life too and sometimes you can and sometimes you can't it's it's uh but that's what we try to do is to try and tap into their the strengths that they've pulled on in their life before and and look at those now when they especially need them. Um, so one question that came up for us was just how do you choose which patients that you're going to go see and speak yeah, with? Yeah, that's a good question. The team, the team uh, when you come into the hospital, uh, there's, I guess, on the universal admission, there's a question about religious affiliation. Um, there's also a question about whether or not you would like a chaplain. Um, and so uh, a lot of times people don't know exactly what chaplains do. Um, so we see a lot of no's, and, um, but uh, the team is always good about when they visit a patient uh, recognizing spiritual issues or um, whenever there's uh, a patient who talks a lot about their faith or about God. Um, we usually, the team, one of the team members, whether it be the doctor or nurse practitioner or the social worker, will will say, hey, can you go see this patient? So that's kind of how that happens. The other thing, uh, as a chaplain, I feel like everybody needs at least an introductory visit just to check in and introduce chaplaincy and, and what we do. Um, and that's a good segue into uh, having a visit as well. And then patients learning that, hey, maybe I, I would like to see a chaplain. Um, and we're there for people who uh, are very, you know, overtly faithful and religious. And those folks who maybe don't claim a, an affiliation with um, any kind of faith group, but still feel like they're, they have a spirituality that they call on for their own strength. And then there's folks that we go visit that, wouldn't claim spirituality or wouldn't claim any specific uh, faith group or but they find that our services can be very beneficial beneficial to them because we're there to hear them and listen and support whatever uh, whatever kind of inner strength or whatever kind of uh, structure they have in terms of what means the most to them in life so we can kind of help folks regardless of their level of religiosity or faith. So religion can be a pretty sensitive topic for some people. How do you first introduce yourself when you're initially meeting a patient? Uh, You knock on the door and and you introduce yourself and sometimes you know right away if a patient is uninterested in chaplain care 
but then some folks will be like, uh, okay. Um, but mainly the way I introduce is that we are part of the, the medical team. Um, we're chaplains and we can provide uh, a listening ear. Um, uh, we can also, if you have a faith group um, and that faith group isn't represented here uh, on our staff, then we have contacts in the community whether they be from the Jewish faith or the Muslim faith or uh, from uh, Wiccan. We have Wiccan contacts. Do we have a, um, an extensive list of community contacts that we can support patients with? Um, uh, we have um, a Catholic priest for our Catholic patients who can provide um, uh, care in the hospital related to um, the Catholic faith, um, he can provide anointing of the sick, which is used to be called last rites. Um, so uh, what I do is I introduce us that we're part of the team and that we can provide a listening ear. We can provide prayer. Uh, if you need other kinds of care related to your own needs that we can, we'll try to accommodate. So it sounds like there's a range of options, both in terms of religious background as well as degree of spirituality or faith uh, for support resources when people come into the hospital. Yeah, I would say so. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I was thinking about uh, existential pain because that, that word is used um, fairly frequently in, in with the palliative care team. Um, and I think everybody sort of has like a different sort of view of what that actually means. Uh, I, I think about one of my favorite uh, writers is a guy now named Thomas Merton, and he was a Catholic writer and theologian, and he said that anxiety uh, is the mark of spiritual insecurity. And so I, when I thought about that uh, recently, um, uh, so if someone has any sort of spiritual insecurity, that insecurity can lead to anxiety. Um, and to add to that, existential anxiety is an all-consuming form of anxiety and stress that is present in a nagging way when we try to make meaning of our life. So that's a lot to say, but I think, uh, you know, all of us at some point in time are going to have what we call existential anxiety. Um, you know, it might not be related to death or the fear of death. It might be related to, you know, uh, waiting on where you're going to go to become a fellow or a resident. Or, um, so in my own work with folks that, who are considering their mortality because of a serial, serious illness, existential pain can be caused by any number of things. It can be caused by regret. Um, it can be caught well, like a dream not realized. Um, uh, it can be something that you didn't do, um, that you feel like you should have done. You never told someone special to you how much they mean to you. Um, we often uh, come in contact with folks who um, have been estranged from a loved one for years, mm -hmm. somebody that they love and that they've... Um, for whatever reason they've lost touch with, that becomes very important uh, to people who are facing their their mortality. Um, or if you feel guilt for something that you've done in the past that you 
never shared with anyone that those kind of things can really uh weigh folks down you know and it can be uh an obstacle to peacefulness um, we all want folks to be at peace you hear that a lot um when they die uh and i want to give a shout out to dame cicely saunders i don't know if you've heard of her she was the founder of the hospice movement uh in britain and during her early work in the 60s with hospice patients she noticed what she called the multi-dimensionality of pain or what she coined the syndromes of pain and she learned that mental distress because she dealt with a lot of folks this was when uh i mean this was the beginnings of the hospice movement. so she, she learned that mental distress is perhaps the most unmanageable pain of all which led her to consider the interconnectedness of pain and mental suffering so she uh, dame saunders surmised that if physical symptoms are alleviated then mental pain is often lifted also and she developed this whole notion of a total pain concept that came to include things like physical symptoms mental distress social problems and spiritual needs so in part the palliative care movement was born out of this need to address the total pain so when i think as a chaplain about ex existential pain i think about addressing all the factors that make up total pain and by doing this you can alleviate some of the distress experienced by patients who need the care that the palliative team um, palliative care team provides next we're going to hear from a guest from one of our previous episodes dr ray barfield he's a pediatric oncologist at duke and teaches philosophy in the divinity school so dr barfield thanks so much for joining us today given your interesting background We'd love to hear how you approach conversations about spirituality with your patients. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I approach conversations about spirituality the same way that I approach most conversations in medicine. Um, and it, this is different. Uh, this, this, this came along later in my career. After I had come to a place where I let go of the idea that I'm setting the agenda in the room, and began to shift towards a view of the practice of medicine as much more like me being a guest in this other person's story that they've invited me in to this little place in their life that's very important but that i need to um be respectful and and, and gentle and so certainly with conversations about spirituality my starting place needs to be letting go of assumptions that I have about them or about what's important. We look at the sodium or the potassium or the chloride on the electronic medical record and we can walk into the room pretty confident about what their sodium or their potassium or their chloride is. But if we look at religious affiliation or something, uh, we can't at all be confident that we know what is true in that room. And so with some of the more difficult parts of a life or a story, I think that we have to be especially humble and let them tell us what matters and what's important. 
that's that's key. I think the second thing is that once they've told us what's important, we have to recognize that that is they have trusted us with something. You know, they have trusted us with something important to them. And so if we aren't willing to begin with what they've told us about themselves, if they have said, well, here's how I view things. If we, whether explicitly on the outside or even inside, you know, roll our eyes and think, oh my gosh, you know, here we go again. And instead of respecting their starting point, then we haven't managed that trust well. If I walk into the room and I ask someone to tell me about their spiritual life, whether they tell me that the universe is atoms in the void, it has no meaning, so it really doesn't matter what you do next, I don't care, or they tell me that God is a healing God and um, I, I believe that my loved one is going to be healed tonight because the whole church is praying. No matter what they say, that is your starting place. And I, I think the second thing I would say about talking about spirituality is that um, it's, it can be a place where people feel defensive and it can be a place uh, where people, you know, a very tender kind of place that's easily hurt and so people may protect it or, or be hesitant to tell us, especially as physicians. Um, if someone doesn't want to talk about it, uh, I don't push on it. I, I think that being invited into these kinds of conversations is important. Um, there are things that we can do to, to test whether or not it's okay for us to go there, you know, but if, if someone clearly puts up a do not enter sign, then we would have to have overwhelming reasons to disregard that. The, the default should always be, oh, I see that you don't want to go there. All right. You know, if you ever do, please let me know. As in previous episodes, we'll now hear from patients about how spirituality and religion affected their medical journeys. My name is Eric Malin. I'm the Assistant Vice Provost for Civic Engagement at Duke. I teach in the Sanford School of Public Policy. Um, I'm 57 years old, and um, my wife Judy Bick died in, on July 12th of 2017 from metastatic breast cancer. So Judy and I are Jewish, and um, very important. Not God. For us, I think God can be very important for people in this journey. Uh, but for us, it was two things, community and ritual. And so the community at our synagogue who uh, gathered around us during Judy's illness and, and her death, uh, our emeritus rabbi who retired but bar and bat mitzvahed both of our children and got, was has just been, I'm still having coffee with him once a week, and he, he came to the hospital every time she was there, and um, has been writing about Judy, and um, so, so our synagogue was really important. Uh, and then ritual, which is when you die in Judaism, 
you, you know exactly what you're doing. The funeral is quick. Um, there, here are the prayers. Um, you do it, you know. So we, uh, I mean, it's interesting. Judy died at 11 o'clock on July 12th. Uh, our palliative care doctor called me at 11.15. He knew from hospice. And, um, and our rabbi was at my house at 11.20. So if you don't want to do this alone, which I don't recommend, then those communities of people that gather around in these moments were incredible. And our rabbi came to the house and opened the windows, which is something you do by ritual. It was a hot, hot July day. Um, opened the windows in the room where Judy had died and sang some hymns and um, then told us what was going to happen, where they were going to take her out of the house, where we should be, what we might want to go in one more time and see her. Um, just guided us through that and is now guiding me through so in Judaism, you put a tombstone up uh, within a year. It's called an unveiling. So I'm uh, writing the tombstone now or designing it, and he's helping me do that. And so uh, we'll do that in, probably in May. I'm Reverend Keith Johnson. Um, I'm married to Marion Dean Johnson. We've been married for 20 years. And we both are cancer survivors. Mm -hmm. When I found out that I was diagnosed with um, pancreatic cancer, um, I thought my I thought my life was over, mm -hmm. so to speak. But with um, my wife, and my family, and of course Duke University gave me hope. Like I said, I'm a minister also, and I truly believe in faith. I mean, now, let's be honest. God is first and foremost in our life. I mean, that's just, that's what I have used to deal with my own, our survivorship, as well as my husband's. So without that, I mean, it is, it's just, impossible. it's just impossible. Yeah, that's it. I was going to say, I just, just, I can't imagine. I'm, I just can't imagine it. And how did your palliative care team approach your faith? With respect. With respect. And, I mean, they would, I mean, incorporate it as needed or as they felt that, you know, that was something needed to discuss or counsel Keith and myself or whatever. But with respect. I mean, again, they they weren't scared of it because you know sometimes people are scared when you start talking about a higher power, but not palliative care. Faith without works is dead. You have to work. Mm -hmm. You have to still do your part. Yeah. And doing our part was going home, looking at each other in the eye, and say, "Everything's gonna be all right." Mm -hmm. God got us back, and without faith, we, ain't gonna, we can't make it. But with faith, we can do all things.